Welcome to Record Crimes. In each episode, we'll be getting into anything from copyright legal battles, crimes committed by people in the music industry, and and everything everything in between. People in the music industry? Doing illegal things? Really? Clarice and I have been practicing. Ready? Lucky you. Us. No, it's us. Living in the decom boom and record crimes. boom. Yes. Okay, yes. We got it. Incredible. We finally have someone covering our work. Oh my God, yes. I can do the synth too. Yeah, we're Wait, wait, wait. Just sing it and then I'll do the background. Lucky us. <laughs> literally, I love that sense so perfection. much. <laughs> literally brought to you by Garage Band. <laughs> it's incredible. We were just talking about your Luck of the Irish episode yes. because oh my, oh my gosh. god, did you watch that movie as kids? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a big that was, one. It's an underrated one in my opinion. People are like. Eh. It was, it was quite literally stress. insane watching it's that one so back. Crazy. It was shocking. <laughs> it was deeply shocking. I, yeah, it, but I loved it. It was great. It was so yeah, good. I, lo- I loved it in a way. <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I always like tell Lissa that every St. Patrick's Day is such a big deal for me because I'm from Dublin, California. <gasps> oh my God, love. Which is, well, you say that. <laughs> But it's so funny because people get so into St. Patrick's Day and everything is just St. Patrick's Day-esque all the time. Right. (laughs) And whenever I say I'm from Dublin, people are like, Ireland? And they get so excited. I'm like, not even close. But I take it just as seriously. I didn't know that was a place. That's so cool. Yes. Well, apparently there's one in Georgia, too. So I don't know which one's better. Is that um, Southern California or Northern Northern California. It's in like the Bay Area, so oh, by nice. San Francisco. Cool. So I love. better than Georgia. If I sorry, Georgia fans. No, <laughs> definitely better than Georgia. Yeah, no Georgia fans. Sure. <laughs> Anyways, hi. So cool. Yes, hello and welcome. We have a really special episode for y'all today. Our crossover with two of the loveliest ladies, also in the podcast game, oh, yeah. and friends. Besties, Best for real. Welcome the Decom Boom ladies. Would you guys like to introduce yourself, please? Sure. Thank you so much for having us, guys. We're really excited. I'm Sarah. I'm Nora. Thank you guys so much for having us. We're so excited. I'm yeah, a big twist our arm. Every week. Twist our arm. I know. <laughs> we have been wanting to have you on here forever. Literally, Aww. when we were first talking about having like guests on, I immediately was like, well, it, we have to have Nora and Sarah on because that's just like no brainer. No brainer. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And we have to have you guys on the decom boom as well. God, yes. Please. I've already requested to be on the limit out oh, limit of mouth course. episode. No, like you're <laughs> confirmed. You're confirmed. Yes. You're booked. <laughs> I am on the books. Yeah. No, like, absolutely. Because that's the best I forgot one. about that one How entirely. dare you? I'm sorry. 
to be like honestly when y'all were talking about the look of the irish i was like that was my whole mind <laughs> that that had just uncovered so many oh, the graveyard the graveyard is alive yes. in my brain oh i love I can't it just anything come else. flooding back but no, Lemonade Mouth is one. I mean, obviously it's a very music oriented one. So yep, perfect yeah. for you. But I don't I don't think I ever like saw the whole thing to be honest. <gasps> Shocking. I know it's because I'm like you're kinda past it. I think it's a 2011 one. It's right. like yeah. Because yeah. I'm three years older than you, Liz. So like yeah. I feel like that's a right. big difference in decom culture. No, you're right. It's you're right. right. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm ex- I'm really excited to What's like. What's that um them. amazing Bridget Mendler song where she's like rapping oh yeah what's, Wait, that what's the name oh, we'll have to look it up but it's so yeah, amazing she her music career slay. was next level truly <laughs> she could have been a next big pop star if she really wanted to she could have but she didn't want the to tiktok there was like some tiktok i saw recently where it was like one of those things where they interview people on the street Mm-hmm. And a guy asked this girl, like, who do you think is the most underrated pop star? And she was like, hot take, um, this girl, Bridget Mendler. And the interviewer oh. was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Honestly, I agree. I it was agree. me in that interview. <laughs> <laughs> Nor on the street. <laughs> like sunglasses on, a different disguise. <laughs> I just want to put that out there. <laughs> I'm screaming. You guys have brought in some fun stories for us today. Yeah, And I'm very excited. I've tried not to. I already knew about Nora's story because I was like actually planning on doing it at some point and then I was like nah I don't want to do it we needed and then, a little bit of a lighthearted break is yeah what we the needed. last episode right. I was like this is too much so <laughs> I was like never mind but We're I have not heard of Sarah's I'm serving know. you dark energy We're, today I know I, <laughs> I know is this like guys. new for you guys well, we're big true crime people, but I don't know if you guys feel this way of like when I was 18, I was like listening to a murder story every single day. And as I get older, I'm getting more sensitive. Like when I researched this story, I was like about to cry. I'm like, I can't really <laughs> handle it the way I used to. Now I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to hear about people dying. Yeah. It's like too much. The tolerance has gone down. That's for sure. I think also it's just, I don't know when you're 18, you're cautious but you're curious because you don't know yes what's out there yes. but yeah. then you know we've been walking around on some streets yeah for yes. in our day now and now it's just too real i feel like why was i 17 going to my retail job like hearing like ligature wound on the way there yeah, no. like that was too much <laughs> like i didn't need to do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> no for real actually you i think nora was the one that showed me my favorite murder like in the early days like yeah. first year of them doing it like early episodes like before episode like 50 or something yeah. like so we yeah got in on the ground floor totally <laughs> i feel like i remember like listening in real time to karen and georgia being like oh wait this is actually like taking off <laughs> yeah, yeah totally <laughs> And I, I remember like in high school lists, like us almost like disclosing to each other, like, no, I like, like weird true crime yes. stuff and be like, wait, you like that too. It was Secret, like, secrets. I felt deep shame. <laughs> I know it was, it was before like, that was like the thing that people podcasted about. I yeah. think they were kind of like the first whatever yeah. or the first like big one. Truly yeah. a service. So you had to okay. like come out as like totally. a true crime. Like, no, yeah. I remember like having so many conversations with my mom where she was like legit concerned. And I was like, mom, like a lot of girls are obsessed with murder. It's not yes. just me. Yeah. She was like, what? But now she no, knows it's true. No, my uh, mom, yeah. Dada, still will be like, you're insane. Like, you're, f- like, are you okay? Like, yeah. yeah. I, know, I don't know if you guys do this, but I listen to, like, podcasts in the shower. 
Oh yeah. So it'll be blasting because it needs to be louder than the shower. And if I'm like at home, I, how many knocks I get like on my shower door, just being like, is this really necessary? And I'm like, sorry. I'm like, I I feel cleansed and I'm like cleaning. I'm like, and she was stabbed 15 times. And I'm like, Oh God, I need to know this. That's honestly so brave of you because I feel like I'm the most scared in the shower. Like, I would feel like it would be psycho if someone would come in with a knife. Like, if I was listening to true crime in the shower, I would be scared. Yeah. That's true. So you're brave. <laughs> no, for me, it's always, like, doing the dishes. I'll listen to it, and then, like, my fiancé, new title, will, like, come up behind me, and I'll be like, ah! Like, it, I'll be so scared. Yeah. There's just this, like, heightened state of fear that comes over totally. you. Totally. Um, for real. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I'm very excited for both of the stories y'all brought in today. I did yes. no prior research or I didn't even search it at all. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to be completely surprised. So I'm, I'm ready for this. Oh my God. That's so fun. This is storytelling hour now. Yes. I love it. I'm so excited. I think we Who's agreed that I'm going to go first, right? Yeah. That, that sounds good. cool. Okay. Yeah, of course. Yeah. No, I, I don't agree with that whatsoever. <laughs> actually. Okay. So are you guys ready? Yes. Okay. Well, I do feel like I need to like give a warning that this is like a really fucked up grisly murder. And like, I know obviously that you guys are true crime people and I'm assuming your listeners are too, since this is a true crime podcast, but just wanted to say that like, this is not like organized crime, like copyright violation. This is like dark as fuck, but I did think it would be really interesting to do because there's a component of like some conspiracy theories about like sus behavior mm. on the part of the record label. And like this person who was convicted of this murder, his like lyrics played a role in making him look really bad at trial. So there is like, it's not all shock and awe. Like there's a cool, I love that. Like, I'm so excited. music industry element to this really disturbing crime. So right, let's do it. Okay. So this is the April, 2002 murder committed by the rapper, big lurch. So Big Lurch was born Antron Singleton in Dallas, Texas on September 15th, 1976. He started writing poetry at age seven. So he was like creative from the get. Um, His stage name, Big Lurch, is rumored to be a reference to Lurch, the Adams Family character, like the creepy tall butler. Because, (laughs) yeah, because he, so I saw like different heights for him online, but they ranged from 6'5 to 6'7. So he was like a tall, lanky guy. Oh, God. And Sorry, I was like really thinking. hoping that he was like 5'3. That would have <laughs> been just so funny. <laughs> okay, short king, living. <laughs> the irony. But no, he was he was tall. He was he was a big guy. Um, so he began his rap career in 1996 in the rap group Cosmic Slop Shop. Um, it was him and two other guys. This guy, Marvin Dooney Baby Selman and Ricardo Rick Rock Thomas. And Rick Rock is definitely like the most famous of the three, like musically. He is regarded as a pioneer of the hip hop subgenre hyphy, which like has its origins in Oakland, California. Um, But so this trio first met in the San Francisco Bay Area. So there you go. Yeehaw. (laughs) I will say that when you said Rick Raff, I was thinking Riff Raff. I realized those are two separate. (laughs) Not Riff Raff. That'd be crazy. If it was Riff Raff. It's like, whoa. Anyway. (laughs) So funny. So they, this trio, they released their debut album, Da Family, in 1998 through MCA Records, which I know you guys talked a lot about in your Mm -hmm. first episode. Yeah. 
But they were sort of like underwhelmed by the success of the record. So they were like, eh, we should split up. Like this isn't working. So they only put out one album together. But their single called Sinful had like some moderate success. It peaked at number 66 on the Billboard Hot R&B Hip Hop charts. Um, and then number 18 on the rap charts. But so after Cosmic Slop Shop broke up in 1999, Big Lurch went solo, and it was kind of like an interesting time for rap. The podcast Disgraceland did a really good job of sort of like summarizing what the rap landscape was like at the time, because like Tupac and Biggie had both kind of recently died. The golden age of like gangster rap was sort of like waning and coming to an end, and Eminem had just released the Slim Shady LP with like you know, really intensely cartoonish depictions of violence, including killing the mother of his child, yeah. right, Kim? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, like, it was kind of like horrorcore was really having a moment, and that was really, like, Big Lurch's jam. Like, he rapped about, like, serial killers and, like, horror movie villains and things like that. So he was kind of, like, a good fit for the vibe of the time. Okay. But even though it seemed like Big Lurch's moment was really, like, about to come... His first album, his first and last album, wouldn't come out until 2004, and by then, he had already been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. So, what happened there? Let's what? get into it. <laughs> no! <laughs> okay, so, in September 2000, so that's one year after his rap group broke up, Big Lurch was driving home from celebrating his 24th birthday when a drunk driver rear-ended him. And he got really, really hurt. He actually broke his neck and oh, I believe shoot. was like paralyzed for a bit. Like it was a really, really bad accident. Um, and he suffered from chronic pain long after that night had come and gone. And one of the things he turned to that he found was like the most helpful for alleviating his pain symptoms was unfortunately and fatefully PCP. Um, no. Also known. That'll do it. Yeah. <laughs> No, which is like a very gnarly drug. I mean, also known as angel dust. It's a dissociative anesthetic. Effects may include euphoria, disorientation, hallucinations, sense of detachment, agitation, memory loss, and stupor. Um, okay, and where can I get it? No, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, no. Okay, you had me at memory loss. <laughs> Stupor, sign me up. <laughs> um, but no, he got really addicted to it, and he used it regularly, reportedly sometimes staying awake for days on end, just like Holy bad, using bad. this stuff. So on April 10th, 2002, so that's like a year and a half after his accident, there was a gathering at his place in LA and he later described it. He said this was kind of like a dope house, like a lot of like gang members, like a lot of shady people would like regularly be at this place, either like staying there or just like coming through regularly. Um, so there was a party there, April 10th, 2002, and people were smoking PCP, which wasn't unusual for this group, but Big Lurch would later claim in the 2011 documentary Rhyme and Punishment that the people he was with that night, quote, just kept feeding it to me and feeding it to me. <gasps> so he claims no. that, like, people were, like, passing him PCP cigarette after PCP cigarette, like, really, like, no, 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 dude, like, you're good. Do more, do more. Yeah. Um, oh, LA is truly the city of... Drugs. What? <laughs> Enablers. Angel, yes. City of, city of Angel Dust. City of Angel Dust. No. <laughs> that was good, Liz. Damn. <laughs> That was good. 
Wait, something really weird about PCP that I learned researching this is like the US is like literally the only country with a PCP problem. Like all the other drugs like Coke, like LSD, crack have like spread around the world, but I feel like the rest of the world is like, oh no, fuck, fuck that shit. We're not, like, that's too, we're not too messing much. with PCP. Isn't that weird? It's, that it's weird. the craziest drug ever. When you like look, hear stories about people on it and what they do or, or oh. what they experience, it's like the most gnarly shit of all time. Like truly. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. No, thank you. No, thank you. Yeah. So he was doing a ton of PCP that night and he claims that he has no memory of what happened next. Um, so according to an all that's interesting article, eyewitness testimony says that at some point, big lurch asked everyone to leave except for his roommate, Thomas Moore's girlfriend, who was also living there at the time, 21 year old Tanisha Sayas, who is a mother of two. Oh, um, so at some point there are people that claim at some point it was just big lurch and her left in the apartment. So later that night, police found Big Lurch running down the street naked, barking like a dog, staring at the sky, covered in blood. No! Oh Did this my just God. turn into a werewolf movie? <laughs> oh my God! Yo, what? We went from Adam's family to werewolf. <laughs> That's wild. That is terrifying. That, that is, is so scary. scary. That Just the thought of... The, you see that. Like, seeing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, like, apparently a woman saw it out her window and, like, called oh, the cops. God. Can you imagine? No. No. And I'd be like, I'm going to bed. I don't... I didn't see you're that. You're going to bed? I'm going someplace else. <laughs> not here. I would not trust my my eyesight at that point. Yeah, like, no, that's true. Yeah, I'd be like, oh, am I on PCP? Like, yeah. No, for real. Yeah. That's so scary. Horrifying. So, and... I couldn't like totally confirm this, but one article I read said that the same woman who called the cops is the person who went to check on Tanisha because I guess she like knew her. Oh. Um, but oh. I don't know for sure. But either way, it's one of Tanisha's friends that found her. And this is grisly as fuck, like just warning you. So what she found when she went into this house was Tanisha with her chest torn open. A three-inch blade was found broken off in her shoulder blade teeth marks were found on her face this is the worst part and on her lungs which had been torn out of her chest what 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 yeah it's literally so disgusting and fucked oh my god and a medical examination later concluded that big lurch had flesh and blood in his stomach oh no yeah. No. 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 no that's no, no, no. so gross. Oh, that's oh so bad. It's like the worst thing I can think. Of. I weirdly think I have heard this story before. It's like okay. kind of coming back to me. I don't think I've I ever like, heard of this. Don't think ever, I have, ever. which is crazy to me. I think right. They like, how do you not it? hear about something like this? And it wasn't that long ago. It was like twenty years no. ago. We oh, were yeah. alive. Oh my god, that's yeah. wild. I think they might have covered it on the podcast last podcast to the left. On the left. Oh. Yeah. Oh. On the yes. left. Yeah. I think they might have done it. That oh makes God. sense. Because they, they do fucked like, up shit. Yeah, they always do the As too I much for me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, in November 2003, so the following year in November, Big Lurch was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole and a second consecutive life sentence after previously being convicted of first-degree murder, aggravated mayhem, and torture. He pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, and his lawyer, Milton Grimes, who is famous for representing Rodney King, Ew. argued that he had been in a psychotic state at the time because of the PCP use, but the district attorney argued that drug use can't be used as grounds for insanity, and the judge agreed. 
and the jury deliberated for less than an hour and convicted him. Mm-hmm. And Big Lurch is currently 46, so he's still like young as hell. Um, and incarcerated at California Healthcare Facility in Stockton, California. Oh, no. Is that close to too close to home? That's like where I'm from. That's up in NorCal. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah, I was like really curious where it was in relation to you guys. I'm looking up. It's close to like where she's from. That's not so. Does PCP make you like a cannibalistic? Because do you remember that story that it was really big? Everyone that man who was on PCP and tried to eat like the homeless man's face or something. Was it bath salts? Oh yeah. What's the difference? I thought it was the same. They're probably kind of similar. I don't know if they're the same, but I heard of that story before, and I think that was bath salts. That is so nuts. There is some like debate about like how real the link is between PCP and like that type of violent behavior. And like, I didn't like go too deep into it, but it sounds like there are definitely people that are like, it won't like make you do that if you have like no history of like violence. It just makes it easier to do that. Yeah. Cause it's like, you lose like all your inhibitions and you also like, I think like are, you literally don't feel any pain. So like, you know, like beating the shit out of someone, like you wouldn't be worried about like your own physical self. Yeah. 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 But so this is where I kind of want to get into like the musical aspect of it and like the conspiracy theories so in 2004 big lurch's record label black market records released his only solo album it's all bad without his consent while he was in prison (laughs) yeah and some of his lyrics do seem like really eerie in hindsight when you think about the crime that would later happen so for example his song i did it to you he name drops Jeffrey Dahmer and also fictional killers, including Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger. Lyrics from the chorus include, quote, murder's a hobby and, quote, if you wake up in a puddle of blood, I did it to you. Um, he also Oof. alludes to PCP use on his song Texas Boy, where he talks about taking a hit from a wet cigarette, which is like a marijuana cigarette that has been laced with something often PCP. Yeah. Um, and some of those lyrics were brought up at his trial to be like, look at this guy. He's a killer. He's wanted to do something fucked up for a long time. Like, he's a bad dude. This makes sense. Yeah. Um, but we all know that not all rappers that rap about heinous violence have ever actually committed such right. acts. Right. So this is where I want to go into like the conspiracy theories because this is yes. really interesting. So the victim's mother, Tanisha's mother, doesn't think Big Lurch did it. What? Yeah. So her name is Carolyn Stinson, and she filed a wrongful death suit <gasps> in 2003 against Big Lurch's then bodyguard, against her daughter's then boyfriend, Thomas Moore, and against Big Lurch's label, claiming that the label provided Big Lurch with drugs to encourage him to act out in a violent manner to make him more marketable as, like, a gangster rap artist. Oh, my God. So that's an interesting take where, like, there it seems like she's, like, he did it, but it's not fully his fault. Like, they wanted him to do this. But then later she fully is, like, no, I just don't think he did it. So in the 2011 documentary Rhyme and Punishment, both she and Big Lurch, like, contributed to the stock. So Big Lurch gave an interview from jail where he recalled Ooh, yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I can't. <laughs> yeah, so he, I've listened to this man's voice, like, so much. It's actually, like, really weird because, like, such a heinous <laughs> crime. But so yeah. he, like, recalled the night of the murder saying, you know, like, these guys that I was hanging out with that night, they were, like, gang guys. They were really sus and they were just like feeding me these PCP cigarettes. And he's like, the next thing I knew, I'm waking up with a murder charge. And then Tanisha's mom thinks that 
Tanisha's then boyfriend, who was part of a gang, like set this up. Like she's like, oh, he was abusive of her. Like she was getting ready to leave him when this happened. And one of the things she brought up was that Tanisha was hit in the back of her head with a, like a razor scooter with like a little scooter. And Ooh. yeah. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh my God. Sorry. I like feel that because you always get hit in the ankles. The ankle. It I hurts know. so bad. It hurts so bad. Oh, oh, that is nightmare <laughs> fuel. Oh my God. I know. It's so scary. And I guess there was like a bloody handprint found on the scooter that wasn't Big Lurch's and they like never properly ID'd it. And then also, so this is really interesting. So like, it was always the police's story. Like, oh, we found Big Lurch, like absolutely covered in blood. But you can see, like, I saw the photos of him, like naked and handcuffed from that night where he looks like high out of his mind. And like, there's only like a little bit of blood, like around his face. And it's really not like gory. Like it doesn't look like he was just chowing down on someone. It's like a little bit of blood on his chest and around his mouth. So this is really dark, but this is what Tanisha's mom thinks happened. And I just want to say like, it always feels really icky to like, talk about conspiracy theories with like death yeah. but like it's interesting to me that like the victim's own mom thinks this i feel like that Definitely. makes it like, at least worth talking about so yeah she kind of thinks that like the actual like beating and stabbing was either tanisha's boyfriend or like the gang members or both and then she thinks that big lurch was there and was like so high out of his mind that he saw the lung on the floor and thought it was a piece of meat and like picked it up and ate it <gasps> oh. i mean <laughs> telling it like that like i could see that being possible but also like oh disgusting oh. but it also like just the fact that like the the blood isn't where like yeah. not to be graphic again but like if you were eating that fresh sorry. it's like sorry i'm sorry but it'd be <laughs> everywhere also like the picture i saw like he doesn't look like someone who just like stabbed the shit out of someone like he, yeah. he doesn't have like that type. i'm not a blood spatter analyst but like he doesn't yeah, look yeah. like he just committed like that type of crime to be honest also like she was beaten really badly i don't think he had like wounds that suggested that and so that's really interesting and during this doc that Big Lurch also contributed to, he claimed that there was really like no proof that he killed her other than the fact that he was like found in that weird state and had been there. He was like, I'm not like tied to the murder weapon. Like my prints were not on it. Mm. Um, so that's like kind of interesting. And he was quoted as saying they convicted me over lunch break. And he was basically just like, they made me seem like a monster. And so it was kind of just like done. He did it. Right. Um, and he felt like his lyrics contributed to that. Like, perception of him absolutely definitely um so big lurch also did an interview with vlad tv in 2016 where he claimed that his lawyer milton grimes was corrupt he claimed that he was against him from the beginning and he claimed that he had ties to the crips whereas big lurch has like family in the bloods so he claimed that there was like gang shit going on where like he didn't yeah. like him or like couldn't like him. Um, but he also claimed that Milton Grimes owned his record label at the time, which I was not able to confirm. I have no idea if that's true, but he said that like multiple times. The way he told it was like he thinks his lawyer either because of the gang stuff or because of the record label or he kind of like goes in a million different directions with it. He's like, oh, I also think he just like was trying to like you know, take a bribe from the district attorney to like get favors on his other cases. But his mm. theory is that his lawyer was like, oh, we got to go for insanity. We got to go for insanity. Even though Big Lurch was like, I don't even know if I did this. He was like, no, 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 trust me. Like if we say you're insane, you'll get like two years in the mental hospital and it'll be fine. But right. he's like, there's no way my lawyer didn't know that like in the state of California, like drug use is like never allowed to be right. an insanity yeah. thing. And right. 
he thought it was like really like this guy is supposedly this amazing lawyer. Like, would he really think that was going to work? And that was like his whole case. And he claimed that he was like, we should make you look like as crazy as possible. It'll like work in our favor. But then when Big Lurch was like, oh, like I have like these mental health diagnoses, like maybe we could use that. He's like, no, 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 no. We're going to focus on the drugs, like knowing that that wouldn't be a good mm-hmm. defense. Yeah. And also hasn't this lawyer like um represented other musicians who are also very heavily involved in like drug use? I don't know. I Ooh. think so. Like I know that he had at least one case where he had to pay someone like over a million dollars. Like the client won like a case like you didn't represent me properly. Oh, so okay. he has like some history of being accused of that. Okay. Right. Well there you go. How mm. I have a question. How did they like how did the police, like, when they found him, how did they connect, like, that they just, he was near the scene, he was put on the scene, and he was found in that way, so they were like, oh. Yeah. Like, was that, like, immediate, or did they take him in, and they were like, so what's up? Like, I, you know, that's a good happened? question, Liz. I don't fully know, but I yeah. assume it was, like, oh, this horribly murdered person, this crazy guy, he came from that place, he knew her, because right, he did, like, right. know her. Yeah. And they were, like, very easily able to prove he had, like, been with her earlier that night. And I think he admitted to that because he was. So I think that was it. But, like, from what it sounds like, they never really, like, explored any other possibilities of what happened. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like, maybe that did... Do you think they, like, went into the crime scene, like, knowing that it was probably him or, like, thinking that it was him and they, like searched it accordingly like to that theory yeah that's kind of what it sounds like yeah I don't know for sure but I think that that's definitely a possibility also another thing that Big Lurch has claimed is that he knew for a fact that there were a lot of like guns and drugs at that house and then Mm -hmm. like by the time the cops got there they were Mm -hmm. gone so like he feels like they knew this was coming and they like yeah planned it who knows but and especially because like I don't know if you were in that state I feel like you're not being meticulous about it. No. Like you're not wiping shit down. Like the fact that they found like no prints of his. Yeah. yeah. Highly sus. Because yeah. why? Like you don't even remember what you're gonna do. You're gonna touch everything. You don't know where your body's been. Like you're not being meticulous yeah. again. Yeah. Right. Right. And yeah. the fact that I feel they definitely like went into it tying him back because yeah. otherwise they would have been more meticulous about that. Well, what like, you we said gotta about the handprint or whatever, like yeah. they didn't even properly identify yeah. it at all or they whatever. They didn't like care like, enough to hello? because they're like, oh, he's done it. Like they're already in that mindset. Yeah. You know? Right. And mm-hmm. I feel like it like on the surface is such an open and shut case. It's like, here's this guy that like was acting crazy, covered in blood. It just, yeah, it seems like a slam dunk. Like when you mm-hmm. first hear about it, you're like, oh, of course he did it. And then you're like, right oh, there is, like, some room for skepticism, you know? Sure, totally. Um, And then, so, the other kind of interesting thing, so, Big Lurch also has talked about the fact that there were, like, dogs living in the house, and he's like, I think that's what bit her, because apparently the teeth marks weren't ever proven to be his, and I, I, like, I found, like, such conflicting reports that I can't, like, confirm this or deny this, but he also claims that, like, the blood and flesh in his stomach was, like, ultimately his, but they told him, like, oh, no, 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 that's just because, like, your stomach acid, like, probably mixed in with her flesh. So, like, no, 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 it's not yours. Like, so I just feel like there is, like, some room for skepticism about, like, that part of it as well. But according to an article on (laughs) okaytho.com, Black Market Records, which is the label that released his album when he was in jail, like, does have somewhat of a sketchy history of, like, releasing things at interesting times And the article provided the example of this rapper X-Rated who was arrested for the murder of Patricia Harris in 1992, along with four other Crips. And he has always maintained his innocence. He said he was like completely blindsided by the murder charge. 
and he served 26 years in prison. He got out in 2018, but lyrics from his 1992 album Psychoactive, which his label released like right before the murder, were used against him during the trial to be like, oh, look, he's a premeditated killer. So it's just like interesting. I don't know. That, that seems like a bit of a stretch, to be honest, but there are people yeah. that are like, I guess they're claiming that the label stood to benefit from their artists like being convicted of crazy crimes because it like yeah. helped build the lore of like, it's like the, the press and the like, oh, people are talking about it either way. So people are going to be curious and go look into that album or something yeah, like that. But or, it's like also like the lore, like gangster rap yeah, and just like yeah. the crime and like the hardness that like comes from like being associated with that it's upsetting though because then it pins you know these let's play devil's advocate and say these innocent rappers who just have severe substance abuse issues yeah and you know they rap granted not about the um most innocent of things (laughs) yeah but it, it pins them down and it doesn't like you know it creates this persona that the record company is like trying to benefit off of well yeah because gangster rap was all about like who's how can I be the top gangster? Yeah. And if you were actually genuinely convicted of a crime and like you were the most gangster. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that right. like, I could see that theory of like, this was a setup kind of thing for the like, kind of almost like street cred, like yeah. <laughs> but for lack of a better word, well, like, and especially to kind after... of prove like I'm the most gangster. Yeah. But I also right. think it's so interesting whenever I hear about um, people's lyrics or art of some sort used in trial yeah because Mm -hmm. it's just so because people literally can write about anything they can sing about anything and without it being like true to themselves like it's like Mm -hmm. people are like I'm a storyteller so I make up these stories or something Mm -hmm. like that but then you I've heard like even in like non-music cases like even artwork and stuff like that Mm -hmm. like will be used like look this is really graphic like depiction of blah 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 you know right and this this shows that they're they were planning this all along and I just I never understand how they I I feel like they always think that's like the most strong evidence that they can use and it just to me it doesn't maybe it's because I like write songs and I'm just like you know I'm just I don't write about that shit obviously but like I don't write about things all the time that like that I true. do or I feel yeah <laughs> yes. so I'm always just like how can you prove that that's like actually yeah. genuinely what it's, they were doing you can't it's so yeah. subjective yeah it's not evidence for sure yeah. No. Yeah. I think it's like really kind of fucked up and another like interesting thing that I wanted to bring up I haven't watched this yet but there is a new Hulu documentary out called rap trap hip-hop on trial and it's about this exact thing yeah it's like it's fucked up that like rappers are held to this different standard where like their lyrics are seen as like confessional when they're not always like Mm -hmm. Eminem didn't kill Kim you know what I mean like you can argue that it's like a fucked up song that perpetuates violence against women if you want but like you can't argue that he killed her because he did not you know right and um I think I haven't again seen the doc but I think it kind of claims that like it's specific to rap because you look at like Freddie Mercury singing mama I just killed a man no one's like yeah. Freddie did you do that like no yes, yeah. right um, right it seems well, like, like it's, not to get yeah. too political but I think it's just because rap is pre- predominantly like a totally. black like yeah. genre and I'm sure that like anything that can be used quote used against them can mm-hmm. like will be you know right but, totally agreed yeah. yes yeah yeah I think that's really what it is and like yeah yeah I just think this is an interesting case because like there's so many different 
I don't know, like pieces of it. It's just weird. It's obviously such a fucked up crime, but I just find it really fascinating that like the victim's mother isn't totally sold on the story. Yeah, that yeah. is interesting. And I also feel like it's worth pointing out that like PCP, like the fear around it at this time was like a really useful tool to vilify mm-hmm. people as well. Like yeah. I didn't know this until researching this case, like Rodney King, that was something that like the LAPD officers like used to justify the excessive force they're like oh we feared that he had like superhuman strength from pcp which he wasn't even on at the time but it's just this thing of like Mm -hmm. this really racist logic of like oh black people use pcp therefore Mm -hmm. they're dangerous therefore we can use excessive force against them it's like Mm -hmm. no right um so that i think was a piece of it too it's just easy to be like oh he's a pcp smoking rapping monster you know yeah right oh my gosh that's so nuts. That's cr- that, that was, was cuckoo bananas. Yeah, truly. Is what that, that was, was absolutely nuts. Yeah. <laughs> but that was good, though. I mean, that's just like, oh, bro, record labels being sketched. The things I'm learning <laughs> so about cl- living it's here. It's so classic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, like, the part of me that, like, has been reading about all these sketchy record labels and mm-hmm. stuff like wants to believe that conspiracy theory where they're like this was a setup because yes, it's just yeah. like because i'm just so skeptical now of like the intentions of the record labels especially totally. around that time too where yeah. they were just like how can we be the best let's go yes. yeah. you know? and all about money yeah yes. for sure i know there was some quote that big lurch said i wish i could remember it but it was something like oh, if you're, like, not from California and you come here, like, they'll chew you up and spit you out. Like, you don't know oh. what's coming for you. It was, like, the, like, oh funniest Poor quote. choice of words. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think that was my choice, not his, to be clear. Oh, my Nor God. Stay like away shivering. from that type of... Yeah, from chewing words. Yeah. Oh, but my no, God. He was just shivering like, this entire time. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazing. Oh, my that God. Was so, I'm so happy I didn't look that up. Yeah, Truly me too. Shy. I don't think I was ready. Yeah, my Not stomach a cannibal hurts. story. <laughs> yeah, it's so fucked. Thank you guys for listening. Rest yeah. in peace, Tanisha Sayas. So fucked up. Horrible oh my god. All around, That's awful. Yeah, it's terrible. Oh, now we have to segue into more <laughs> <laughs> another one. Yes. No, I'm excited because, like I said earlier, I for my solo episode, I was I told Clarice like as she did her solo episode, I was like oh, I'm going to cover this and then I'll probably, to fill up more time, I'll probably go into like kind of branch off into different things surrounding this. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, actually, I kind of want to do Sid and Nancy because I love that story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like reading a punk book. So I was like, I need to be, I need to go on the punk movie. For that episode, I haven't listened yet. Did you read her mom's books? Like Nancy's mom's book? I read a lot of quotes like pulled from it Mm -hmm. and I didn't read the book though because I couldn't get it at the library that I like was at but I was going to and that's one of the reasons I started looking it up because I was like I forgot that she the mom had written a book but like the more I looked into it like the less I wanted to read the book because Mm -hmm. the mom was so harsh about Nancy and I honestly am just like I so controversial being like a Nancy defender like Mm -hmm. like, no yeah (laughs) I think one of the quotes is just like from a young age, she was her destiny was to make everything bad in life. And like, yeah, she yeah. Mother like, of the year. And mother of the year, truly. And I just like do not want to read it at all now no, because that's just fair. the quotes that I've seen. I'm like, I don't I don't like this woman. And all of the information about Nancy's like younger life like pre getting into the punk scene is mm-hmm. from her book. Yeah. And so yeah. a lot of people are like 
you can't tell me like this is that accurate you know right, it's right. extremely biased she like put her on like hard drugs at four years old oh. because she was like unmanageable apparently and it's just like that is a four-year-old yeah. oh my god I you know awful. I didn't yeah. read the book but I listened to a podcast where they like covered the book and there's this amazing I mean I don't know if this is completely accurate but there's this amazing quote from that book where like I guess Nancy as a teenager would like go on the front lawn and protest against her mom which yes. I thought was the most yes. punk rock thing I've ever heard that's I what I'm that. saying <laughs> like I think she literally was just like a punk teen yeah. like I just like dude <laughs> like no and I, like, I honestly think it's like coming out as I think it's disgusting when people dress up for them for Halloween. I'm like, Me don't too. romanticize domestic violence. You're gross. Sorry. Yeah, didn't, um, Courtney Kardashian. Yeah, or thank not, you. No, wait, yeah, was I'm it Courtney? Yeah, it was Courtney and Travis. Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. I remember yeah. seeing that. They so would. That's they so they so would. Too. Like, toxic I know. love is everything. I'm, like, I'm shut so up. Su- I'm surprised that like Megan Fox and MGK didn't do that. Oh, first. my God. They probably like, wanted to. I bet they were like screaming and kicking like when they saw the picture of like Travis and Courtney doing it. They were like, no. <laughs> That's our thing. That's, That's so- our thing. You know, they're going to like pull out something even like darker than that, and we're not they're even gonna, ready for no, it. They're just like we're the new Sid and Nancy that's like I'm gonna vom please Please. I'm gonna vom it (laughs) no if if Megan Fox gets taken out of this world by him I think I will I will be protesting on many a lawn no no one is gonna get by no you can't can't even yeah someone's gotta help her because um yeah she's gotta get away from him for sure we love her don't love him Uh, anyway anyway (laughs) um okay so i guess i'll do mine i know throughout this i'm gonna be like saying like a million times and like saying slay probably because i just like have to so i am doing the who concert disaster of 1979 um this was a concert that the who did in cincinnati ohio where 11 people lost their life super tragic So some background on The Who, they were an English rock band, one of the biggest rock bands of the 70s. We know their songs, The Seeker, My Generation, Won't Get Fooled Again. You know these kings. The classics. (laughs) I was about to say they're like the song for CSI is by The Who. Oh, Oh, really? I didn't write it. Very cool. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the CSI song? Oh, cool. Oh, cool. I didn't know yeah. that was the CSI song. Okay, wow, guys, fast. crime tie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, true. Um, so, yeah, so the who consists of lead vocalist Roger Daltrey, guitarist Pete Townsend, bassist John Entwistle, and drummer Keith Moon. Daltrey started the band in 1959, and it later evolved into the who in 1965. Uh, the founding members all grew up in Acton, London, so they grew up in the same town. And it's considered one of the most influential rock bands of the 20th century. They've sold over 100 million records worldwide, so very famous. <laughs> so, yeah, basically to go into the concert disaster so sad. So I got a lot of my information from this on this documentary, The Night That Changed Rock, which originally aired on a Cincinnati local news station. It's also on YouTube, but that's like where the vast majority of my information came from. So on December 3rd, 1979, The Who was scheduled to perform a concert at the Riverfront Coliseum in Cincinnati. 
And basically, like, a big issue with this case is that the venue had festival seating, which is first come, first serve. So the earlier you get there, the better seats you get, which, like, to think that a band this big had festival seating is truly insane. Like, it would be, like... I don't know if it would be exactly the same, but if, like, a Taylor Swift concert, it was, like, general admission and first come, first serve. Like, oh, that's an real. awful People would be idea. camping out there for, like, weeks ahead. No, truly. Yes, and, and then look, running oh, in. So yeah. yeah, running into the venue. So, apparently, people started arriving at 1.30 p.m. for an 8 o'clock concert. So, people were waiting for hours. Over 18,000 tickets were sold, and they sold out within two hours. Um... This documentary said that around 4 p.m., people started pushing against these glass doors because the band wasn't ready, the venue was understaffed, and so the venue just wasn't ready to let people in. So as the hours went by, the crowd was getting bigger and bigger. There's reports that people were, like, drinking and smoking weed and stuff, but also there's a lot of, like, problematic conversation around this of, like, just acting like these concert goers were, like, druggies and they were drunk, which, like, a lot of people that were at the concert were, like, that wasn't really the case, and that was just kind of, like, the news outlet it's trying to like kind of blame the victims for what happened. Of course, yeah. And name a concert that people don't do that at. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's also I think the stigma of the sex, drugs, and rock and roll thing, where it's mm-hmm. like rock and roll has corrupted our youth and this and that. Like I God. also, in all honesty, like I will sip a glass of wine before a symphony concert. Yeah, totally. In the yeah. Literally lobby, anything. Yeah, there's absolutely. literally no concert on earth. That you won't drink at. And there's, like, some (laughs) conflicting reports of, like... In this documentary, there was a man from the police department that seemed, like, very invested in the case and, like, really cared about what happened. But then there's some other reports that the police department, like, didn't do enough. And a main reason for that was because they just were like, oh, these druggy rock and roll people, like, it's their fault. I don't know for sure if that's true because there's conflicting reports about how the police handled this situation. But, like, if that is true, it's just, like, the police, it is not... Like, you cannot decide what populations deserve safety like that's just so gross if that is what happened so when things started getting out of control obviously there were a ton of people outside the police officer in the documentary said that by 6 p.m he thinks there was about 12,000 people at the doors and there were just these two little doors like it was like not you know enough doors to have this many people coming into And so there's two, like, conflicting reports about what made people start pushing in. So originally, people thought the band was doing a sound check, which made people think that the band was starting and people started to push in. But then their manager, Bill, said that what actually happened was they were showing a trailer for the 1979 movie Quadrafina, which was a movie loosely based on the Who's 1973 rock opera of the same name. Instead of having like an opener for the concert, they were going to play this 10 minute trailer, I think. And that's what they were going to have as their opening act. So that was playing. They were like checking the audio. People were hearing the Who's music from the trailer and they thought the band was starting. And so people started to push toward the front. Some people like say that the doors were opening and then other people are saying that they were pushed against the glass and the glass broke of these two doors. Like one of the survivors said that at some point the glass broke on the doors. And so people were just like squeezing toward the front 
like at least 12,000 people squeezing into these like to this really small entryway. So one of the survivors said that basically people were walking like on top of people and that he saw one guy like swing on an awning into the venue. And it was just like people were on top of people and they were just like squeezing toward the front. And this other um, survivor said that she was stomped on for 20 minutes and she couldn't breathe for 20 minutes. Um, oh my God. So just absolutely awful. Nightmare, nightmare. Nightmare, nightmare. 11 people died from this event and dozens more were injured. There were two 15 year olds oh. that died. Um, Karen Morrison and Jacqueline Eckel. Just so sad that like two literal like kids died like that's so young and it makes it even more gross that the news outlets were like oh these druggy fans it's like okay two 15 year olds died like that's come on and to be honest this is so horrible but like i'm kind of surprised that more people didn't die yeah i'm sorry if you're already gonna say this but if i'm not mistaken the who like didn't know that what was happening like the concert went on right yeah so basically their manager bill like didn't tell the who what had happened he gave them like some inkling that something bad had happened but he was like just play the show we'll talk about it after so yeah the who played their set bill was in this documentary and he said that he was nervous that like there would be a lot of anger if they didn't put on the show and that people the same issue would happen with people leaving the venue and so they just like thought it was safer to do the show but like other people disagree with that other people think they should have not done that pete who was in the band said he disagreed with the manager's decision to go on and play the show and he also said that he wished that they had stayed in the city longer after the concert Mm -hmm. and he was like we kind of ran away like he was like we didn't do enough we didn't talk about it they continued their tour after but roger like this really did affect them like roger called the three weeks of their tour after this concert the longest three weeks of his life and he said like the scars of what happened never really went away yeah yeah so it's just like so horrible and the venue had been criticized in the past before this concert for like overselling tickets overselling events and also another thing with like this festival seating it's dangerous for a few reasons one being like what happened here but also like people would sit in the aisles at these kind of venues and that can cause safety concerns so it's just not safe to have festival seating for this huge of a band definitely not yeah and in this documentary they also spoke to some of the families of the victims they spoke to the family of 15 year old Jacqueline who lost her life in the accident and I think it was one of her sisters that said it was such a freak accident that was hard to digest it's hard to understand that you could be waiting in line at a concert and die which is like yeah. so awful and then also the parents of Stephen Preston who was a 19 year old who lost his life were in this documentary and the mom oh it was so sad she was said that she was watching like the news coverage of what happened and she saw a kid being carried out and she was like oh those are Stephen's shoes oh, no. and I know and the dad was like no no you're like it's not like you're getting confused and then they called the morgue and she was saying that her description was like a 19 year old kid like sandy blonde hair and she was like he had braces which just like broke my heart because like the fact that he had braces just like these kids were so young like the oldest kid was 27 which to me is a kid like thank you literally yeah for real yeah and they also like something this documentary tried to set straight is that all 11 of the victims died of asphyxiation some people think that people were like crushed which really isn't like true it was just more that it was like a school 
squeeze, which it's not better, but it's just like misinformation that people were like trampled. It was more that it was like a squeeze to the front and people just like couldn't breathe, but it's just absolutely so awful. And unfortunately, this isn't like an isolated incident. This has happened at concerts before. This happened with Pearl Jam in 2000. Nine people lost their life during like a rave at one of their concerts in Copenhagen. Pete Townsend called Eddie Vedder of Pearl Jam after that happened and like basically encouraged him to handle the situation like differently than they did he was like make sure you stay in the town and like make sure you stay with the people really mourn with them because he Aww. was like our band really like did run away from this and they didn't talk about it for like 40 years they didn't talk about it for a really long time they didn't go back to Cincinnati until 2022 they played there in 2022 and they like helped fund a memorial at the local high school but from this documentary it seems like they really regretted the way they handled it they wish that they had just stayed with the people longer yeah absolutely definitely but it's just so horrible Cincinnati banned festival seating for like 25 years after this but it came back in 2009 at this venue and it was like renamed has a different name now so festival seating is back at this venue now um and it's How? just why would they do that i know it's just disrespectful it's like why would they do that like knowing the liability of yeah yeah and the venue like said at the time that it wasn't their fault because the front doors were city property and so like and i'm just like well then you need to find a different way to get people into your venue like that's so messed up and i just i think it's so gross when something awful happens and like you should want to take responsibility if you're a venue and something this terrible happens and then obviously like what happened with travis scott recently like this is not something that hasn't happened in a long time like this continues to happen with these huge events also like not a concert but in i think it was korea like south korea this happened like this year halloween yeah my friend was over in korea when that happened she was with her aunt like two blocks over so she wasn't affected but it's terrible and it's it's so unfortunate because like i just think if you're the back of that huge crowd you can't hear people at the front being like wait wait so it's like it's just miscommunication of people just like don't know what's happening like one of the concert goers that survived said like i kind of got the sense that i was like walking on people but like i just like couldn't fully tell and i couldn't stop because people were pushing behind me it's like what do you do that's like the really sad thing too there's one it was at like a sporting event in the uk i think it's called like the hillsborough disaster because i think like maybe like 60 people died yeah oh and the really sad thing is like a huge amount of the survivors have like lasting like ptsd and like there's been a lot of like suicides among the survivors because like Mm -hmm. they almost feel like they killed someone even though of course they didn't but it's like yeah you have memories of like oh that person can't breathe and i can't help them and i'm kind of like part of why they're smushed like it's so fucking right no that's so true that's horrible it's really gross and sad because you can't stop it because like if you stop then you're gonna get hurt so it's like you have to keep going it's oh yeah i haven't been to many concerts that are standing Mm -hmm. because you know i'm short yeah and it just feels like when the crowd does that it's like the crowd just closes in above me right yeah "Ah, help please 
I know the only thing I've had, like, and this is not even a millionth close to what this is, but me and Sarah and some friends went to Maggie Rogers in 2019 at Mass Mocha in Massachusetts. And it was like outside. So people were just standing and then there was a thunderstorm. So we had to go into the museum and there was not that many people there, probably like a few hundred, I would guess. Like, More than that. But yeah, it was nothing close to this. Yeah. It wasn't like that big of a concert, but we were in Mass Mocha and then there were these really small doors at the front to get out of the museum. And when it was like announced that people could go back outside, people did push really aggressively and it was like scary. And the security guard had to be like, no, like, stop. We're doing this differently, which like, as she should, it's good. This concert had good security, but it's just so scary when any huge group of people is being like, let's all push towards this super small door. Like, no, because at these venues and even this venue, like, I know they don't really take responsibility for it, but they... They're so understaffed. Severely understaffed. Severely understaffed. And, like, what are the security guards going to do? Like, one in one corner and the other in the other corner, what are they going to do about, like, thousands of people, you know? That's so true. That's so true. There's nothing that can be done, like, in the moment. That's why it has to all be pre-planning of, like, we don't have that many people. We have all these different doors. Like, you're so right. In the moment, like, a security guard can usually do nothing. Yeah. And I've been to concerts where like the artist will see what's going on in the crowd and like be stop their show and be like, hey, guys, stop. You know, this person's getting hurt. This person's getting crushed or whatever. But I can't imagine how difficult that would be, you know, for larger crowds and concerts too, for like the artist to have to be that aware doing that while they're performing, you know? Yeah. And I have noticed recently, like in light of most recent events that bigger artists are trying to be more aware of these things. Yeah, but, like, there's only so much that they can see slash do, you know? So true. I think also, like, and maybe you guys will disagree with this, but I think that, like, when this stuff happens, it's really easy to blame the artist because people need, like, a face to blame. But ultimately, like, that cannot be the artist's responsibility because, like, they have to worry about so many other things. And, like, it was great. Like, when we went to Phoebe Bridgers, like, she at points did notice stuff in the audience. She was like, oh, that person needs help. But, like, that's a lot as a performer to put on a show, worry about the sound, worry about your voice, and also be be looking at the crowd. And, like, I know a lot of people blame The Who. A lot of people blamed Pearl Jam. And then, like, Pearl Jam almost broke up after that happened. And it's, like, it is ultimately, like, the venue's responsibility. Like, they're in charge of safety and like it's so great when you see like Billie Eilish being like oh that person needs help at her concert it's a lot for a 20 year old performer to like look at everyone in the audience to make sure they're safe and yeah it's just not realistic you know because like you watch videos of say like Billie Eilish those concerts where they're standing and there's thousands and thousands of people like it's just not realistic for the artist to be able to catch all of that you know every time and it's also not on the artist especially when they're not encouraging that behavior like you can't really blame them definitely you know I feel like it's almost all the responsibility is on the venue right trying to be like what's the safest way that we can hold our event and Mm -hmm. what that entails you know like they oversell the tickets and the logic is like, well, not everyone shows up, but then, you know, obviously people are going to show up to a concert that they spent money on. Yeah. Especially the who. Yeah. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Like they, I don't understand the logic of like, yeah, we're going to oversell this concert 
this little the who we didn't know the who was coming like this this huge band you know like yeah. why did you think that people weren't going to show up yeah and therein lies the problem with capitalism because there's no incentive to totally. value safety over profits that, at all exactly it's true <laughs> it always comes back it always that. comes back to that it really does and i've been to like a standing concert before like pretty close to the barricade and have, have experienced like the push-up you know yes yeah. it, hurts. it hurts so bad and like what do you you know what are you doing what are you doing like you're not gonna get closer there's a barricade like stop like and it's not like i'm gonna yell at the person that's like being pushed behind me because like they're getting pushed too you know like ugh. i almost had a panic attack at kendrick lamar at SPAC because it was like so many people we were packed in like this on the lawn and there was this like drunk tall guy behind me that like yeah people were pushing through and you kind of just like you know it was a little scary but you rode the wave and this really big drunk guy he goes the next person that pushes me, I'm going to start swinging. I literally was like to the people I was with, I was like, yeah, I'm going back by like the porta potties. I don't care if I can see anything. Like I'm done with this energy where yeah. like if one asshole makes a move, like I'm going to get trampled. Like, yeah, no. what the hell? So scary. And like, what's the name of that venue that is in the strip mall in Clifton Park? Oh yeah. Um, oh, isn't it called like, it used to be like Northern Lights, but now it's like oh, yeah. Upstate what Concert Hall. Oh yeah, Upstate Concert Hall. Yeah, so I, at the Upstate Concert Hall, I went to a Fifth Harmony concert. Oh, and wait, got, is this the VIP one? Yes, it was like, I bought a VIP, it was like a hundred bucks oh my God, for VIP wow. and just to be there. And we were waiting outside for so long, but you know, as soon as they opened those doors, they let like the VIPs in first or whatever booking it to the fucking stage and nothing is scarier than a bunch of like teen girls trying to get close to like their favorite <laughs> artists like truly oh so ruthless but you know I was like close to the barricade and there would be those pushes and every time there was like a no. push I would literally my heart would drop and I'd be like I cannot die at a fifth harmony concert please I can't it just like cannot be my fate <laughs> oh, yeah, I remember seeing photos from when you guys were waiting outside with your blankets in high school like I remember when you went to that that's shocking to me that they perform there because that's a small space for like they're big and they were big then too I feel like they have such a weird range of artists yeah I only went to one concert there and there were like 20 people there (laughs) classic (laughs) like I think Borns was there yeah he did I remember that he's like a little too big yeah totally it's like the size of my apartment (laughs) it's so weird I'm like I'm scared for you it's small but I feel like it got a lot of acts like of that size which was so interesting but I think there was like a lot of security at least the times that I've been yeah that's good but again I don't want to like put that on like three security Mm -hmm. guards you know what I mean right right I think within the last 10 years or so I've only ever been to standing room concerts yeah you went to one last night yes yes I did and this was well I've been seeing this band for like every year like pre-COVID like I saw them every year before COVID let up and so this was like my first big concert like post-COVID so there's like getting used to the crowds again like being in close confined spaces with like a lot of people um and like the really long waiting but I'm the kind of person that like no matter how long I'm waiting I will not go in and rush to the front immediately. Cannot relate. I <laughs> I like to 
hang out at that little square in the middle of the venue where all the sound people are mm. because it has railings and railings means like a free seat yeah, basically to like lean, lean against. Back. Yeah. Right. And it paid off this time too. And for everyone listening, it pays off to not rush to the front and suffocate yourself because the main <laughs> vocalist, he came out for one of the songs and held the hand of the guy in front of me and like we helped him up and yeah. I was just standing out there like gawking. Wait, that's and amazing. the guy was like crying too. That was like an emo moment. Yes, I love he was it. the guy holding his hand was this 40 year old man who looked like he had just seen God that's and was so sobbing <laughs> when he got down and like went back to stage. It I was it. the best thing. But yeah, it pays off to hang out towards the back because I mean I can move I can dance I'm close to the bathroom I'm close to the exit yeah that's definitely no, true that's so true like it sucks being when you can't yeah like go pee or go get a drink or yeah exactly not worth it at all totally I also feel like the sound is usually worse right up at the front it's like there's one speaker like in your ear yeah you're right next to like the amp it's like, like okay it's you. <laughs> if you haven't lost your hearing at that point exactly. yeah that's you just, just feel your organs like, moving <laughs> it's like CPR through sound <laughs> totally <laughs> oh my god Nora if you weren't done with your story we just went on like a thousand tangents oh no I was yeah I was kind of done that's kind of the whole thing <laughs> well those were two amazing stories thank you guys so much for listening and having us yes thank you so much for having us we love you we love decom boom please plug like literally yes, everything that please you're doing plug right everything now. that you guys do thank you so much no I we're totally gonna plug our podcast because we'll totally talk about this on our podcast too and like Absolutely. of course so yeah our podcast for your listeners is called the decom boom every single episode we pick a different disney channel original movie which we're very passionate about decoms and disney channel in general each episode is a different movie we like recap it we talk about like you know the background when it came out the cast things like that and then we also have like categories that we do for every episode we rate every movie from A to F and it's a good dose of nostalgia. If you're, if you were a Disney channel kid. Yeah. 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 Like even if you weren't a Disney channel kid, you guys do such a good job of like describing going through the plot. I always feel like I'm just like watching the movie in my head again. It's so fun. <laughs> Love it. But I'm glad you feel that way. That's definitely our goal. Mm-hmm. And it's a must listen, um, you know, like I truly, I love it. We love, we love. Oh, thank um, you so much. We're so honored. And I love the movie reviews that yes, you guys do. Yeah. Where you go to the end and you see what people are saying. That stuff cracks me up. I know. It's so funny. People are passionate about the decoms. Like, I think some of ours for this movie, Brink, some of the reviews were, like, so passionate. Like, this is the only good movie about inline skating. People were going off. Because there's always that certain kind of person that's like, I love The Godfather. And you know what else is a good movie? Like Smart House. Like they love to like, like they think that makes them so interesting to be like, and also this little movie. <laughs> I love when people don't know how funny they are. Like they're trying to be sincere, but it's the funniest it's so thing. so funny. You've yeah. Read. Yeah. No, it's like an amazing podcast. Please go listen to it. Yeah. Whenever you need a break from our podcast, no. <laughs> heaviness, go, go over there and listen to theirs. I think it complements each other well. Yeah. We're truly such a nice, uh, diametrically opposed. Yeah, you know, that's true. Podcasting. Yeah. No death on the Disney channel. Really. Do you guys want to plug like any of your personal stuff? Yes, please. You know. Oh, when I was a freshman and Sarah was a, 
when Sarah was a senior, I literally was like, I need to be oh, her. She oh. has um, an artist project, aka Donnie. Donnie. So fucking good. Oh my God. Liz, I loved you so much. You were my favorite freshman. You and Tess. Shout out Tess. <laughs> Everyone, please listen to that. Are you making any more music or? Yeah, well, I'm like, I've been taking like a long hiatus from music TBH, but no, it really is my goal for like the next couple months to do some recording because I have like a few songs I want to record and release. So I'm really hoping to like find time in like April, May, June to do that and get stuff out because yeah, it's just hard. Like I, my job is like a bit more legit than my job used to be. So it's like, you know, when your job is real, you're like, Oh, I'm like tired at the end of the day. Um, yeah. There's so many years of having a fake job. So no, I mean, but it's good. And yeah, hopefully there will be some Donnie news like sooner rather than later. Yeah. And I am playing like my first show in so long, like in a couple of weeks. So that'll be Yay. fun. Yay. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Stream Donnie. <laughs> And, like, Nora is literally the funniest fucking person I know. It's so hard to describe her to other people because she's... I love her. She she does, like, really good comedy stuff. Have you been doing any, like, improv or anything like that? Um, what am I even doing these days? I'm working. I, oh, yeah, and you're writing. I'm, yeah, I'm doing that. I want to get back into, like, improv stuff, but I just have been, like, kind of like Sarah, taking a long hiatus but hopefully I'll get back into that soon. And yeah, that's that's kind of it during our podcasts, you know. Like I don't know if you guys feel this way like podcasting, we're learning like, oh, this is a job. Like it's so much work. It's a lot of work. So much work. So Let's much get work. Paid. Let's get paid. Let's get paid. Sponsor us. <laughs> no, like I knew going into it that it was going to be work obviously. Like we started mm-hmm. this for fun. I'm sure you guys did as well. But like you know, we do our social media, which I hate, but I love. And we do like a recording and our editing and just like our theme song, our art. It's so, Straight it's up, like so I much. Know. Yeah, it's I so definitely much. get why the bigger podcasts have teams that they pay people yeah. to do. Like, we don't have our own Steven to like edit. <laughs> yes, Steven. Yeah, true. Did I tell you guys that I met Steven? Oh, yes. I remember I that. was, when I was working as a waitress, he came in a few times and the first time... Oh. You know, I saw him and I was like, holy shit, is that Stephen fucking Ray Morris? Oh, and he's so cute. I couldn't recognize him because he didn't have his like signature mustache, but mm. I heard him talk like another girl was waiting on him and I was like, holy shit, holy shit. And all my coworkers were like, dude, why are you freaking out? Who is so this guy? So not recognition. Yeah, literally. <laughs> and so I walked up to him and I was like casually trying to be casual. I was like filling up his water and I was like, are you by any chance Stephen? And his, like, whoever he was with, like, no, I think it was, like, his girlfriend at the time, Mm -hmm. he was, like, he was, like, oh, ha, 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 like, you know, and (laughs) he was, like, yeah, like, I was, like, I'm a huge fan, I love you, like, I've been listening to since the beginning, you know, and he was, like, oh, thank you so much, and we got to chatting, and he asked me my name, and then the next time he came in, he brought, like, his family, his pops, I love it, love pops, and um, he was so sweet, he, like, remembered my name, and I was, like, shut up! And he gave you a Twitter. He did give me a Twitter shout out, kind of. Like, he was just like, I think he tweeted something like, oh, yeah, it's so funny how murderinos will recognize me just off my voice. And I was like, that was me. Oh, my God, it was you. Oh, that's so cute. Wait, that's so cool. That was me. Oh, my God. You're like, you're tweeting about me, Stephen? Oh, my God. (laughs) That's so cute. Oh, my God. (laughs) 
Okay, should so, we wrap up? <laughs> yes. I know, I feel like there's nothing else that should be recorded <laughs> that I have to say. <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Thank yes, you thank to you, thank Sarah you, thank and you. Nora. We yeah, love them. Of we love Decom Boom. And we love that we were able to have an episode with you guys. Thank you guys so much. Can't wait till you come on our podcast. Yes. <laughs> totally. And um, yeah, so see you next week. See you next week. Woohoo. <laughs> Bye. 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 If you like what you hear, feel free to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, rate and subscribe anywhere you listen to podcasts. Tell us what you think on our Twitter or Instagram at Record Crimes Pod. Have a suggestion or something you want to hear on the podcast? Send us an email at recordcrimespod at gmail.com. Thank you.